0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Work Green, Earn Green. I'm your host, Jay Tipton. For all the returning listeners, I hope you enjoyed last episode's Earth Day special. I received a lot of positive messages about the conversation, so I just want to say that I truly appreciate all the kind words. But now I'm back on the road and the destination for this episode, Mississippi. Full disclosure. I've only ever driven through Mississippi when I was just a young dude on a road trip with my parents, so I don't really remember much. But one thing I do remember about Mississippi is the epic tale of one of my favorite blues musicians, Robert Johnson, and his story is the stuff of legends. Johnson was a young man living in rural Mississippi in the early 1900s. His biggest dream was to become a great blues musician. Somebody told Johnson to take his guitar to a crossroad near Dockery Plantation at midnight. It was there that he met a large man shrouded in black, who legend says was the devil. The devil took Johnson's guitar, tuned it, and played a few songs. When he handed it back to Johnson, he had complete mastery of the instrument. But the devil doesn't give gifts for free. In exchange for the musical talent, Johnson sold his soul. However, Johnson went on to make legendary blues music, which influenced the likes of Bob Dylan, Eric Clapton, Robert Plant, and Keith Richards. So what does this story have to do with green jobs? Well, to be honest, I don't really know. It's just a dope story. Kidding, kidding. There, of course, is a connection. As you're about to find out, Mississippi lags behind nearly every other state in the country when it comes to being green, But the state's geographic features are drawing in some new industrial players who, like Johnson, are dreaming big. Is it possible for green jobs to turn the state's economy around? And does Mississippi have what it takes to become a global leader in alternative fuels? Well, in this case, the devil's in the details.
1: The state has a high rate of poverty. It's been surveyed to be anywhere from like 19 percent to above 20 percent. The medium income is only about $46,000. It's the household income. High school graduates are about 84%. And I think only 22% of the population has a bachelor degree or higher. So there's definitely a gap between a demand for certain jobs and the skills folks have to
0: work those positions. That was Sarah Dina Talley. She is the Gulf Coast reporter for Mississippi Today, and her beats are business, economy, and labor. Unfortunately, Mississippi doesn't fare so well in any of those metrics. The state ranks dead last in the country in terms of employment, 49th in economy, 48th in infrastructure, 44th in economic opportunity, 43rd in education, and 41st in fiscal stability. And regarding green jobs, Mississippi hasn't exactly been at the forefront of the green revolution.
1: Mississippi tends to be late to things. And this is like another example of being late to the party. I don't want to say that there's been no discussion over the green economy or attracting those type of companies in Mississippi. But the main focus really is on getting jobs that pay higher wages. And understandably, that would be a prime concern over sustainability in general because we have such high rates of poverty. But I don't wanna make it seem like there's nothing. But I haven't heard it as like a main, main talking point. I think Mississippi leadership right now is just trying to focus on getting our state workforce into a healthier place.
0: When it comes to legislation, the state's lawmakers have largely ignored the climate debate. Instead, they've allowed the market to determine which businesses would be most beneficial for the local economy.
1: I don't know of any specific sustainability projects, but there are incentives for those type of companies to come here. Beyond that, I think people are just wanting better opportunities, and I think they would be interested in certain green jobs or fields if it means that they're going to be making
0: more money and able to improve their lives. So Mississippi's main focus is simply about getting better paying jobs. No one has really connected the dots that green jobs typically carry higher wages. And in a state where many jobs are paying the federal minimum wage of $7.25 an hour, workers are much more concerned about how to keep their heads above water. They don't exactly have the luxury of addressing big challenges like tackling climate change. However, there does seem to be some traction building when it comes to one particular industry.
1: One of the biggest industries right now making headway in Mississippi is wood pellet manufacturers. And I can see why they are gravitating toward Mississippi. Mississippi has got history in manufacturing, and there are already existing timber infrastructures in the state.
0: Sarah's right. Up until 25 years ago, the pulp and paper industries added big money to Mississippi's economy. We're talking billion-dollar contributions. And they provided some of the highest paying jobs, both direct and indirect, of any industry in the state. But as the world moved into the digital era with computers and e-readers, paperless practices reduced the demand for products like newsprint and printing papers. And I'll admit, I'm part of that movement. I do basically all of my reading on my Kindle or computer. But as a result of this movement, local mills closed, which created a ripple effect of job losses across forestry-related industries. But while those jobs may have died off, the forests continue to grow.
1: When they're deciding where to open these wood pellet facilities, they position them to be close to where a lot of the wood already is. And then we're on the water, so the supply chains are already here for some of that. And there's a lot of demand for wood pellets to be used as uh, an alternative form of energy in
0: Europe. So there's a huge demand for it. So despite not being an environmentally conscious state, Mississippi's natural resources do play a big role in terms of which businesses can thrive within the state. And from my point of view, that should drive home the notion that our economy and environment are intrinsically linked, especially given the fact Mississippi is one of the states that has been most impacted by climate change.
2: The Gulf South disproportionately experiences the impacts of climate change relative to other parts of the country. So this is where we experience significant sea level rise. This is where we experience the climate effects that are impacting our weather, primarily hurricanes and tropical storms. And then also the causes of that climate change are disproportionately located in the South.
0: That was Jonathan Green, Executive Director of the Steps Coalition in Mississippi, The STEPS Coalition is comprised of 20-plus nonprofit organizations that work together to advocate for and implement solutions for community development, climate and environmental justice, and human rights.
2: I think the state is lagging behind because I think that our political leadership is non-visionary. They seem to be very wedded to the status quo and the past. And if I had to guess, there's a fear of change.
0: Despite the lack of progressive thinking from elected officials, Jonathan sees a lot of potential for Mississippi, which he refers to as a blank slate.
2: One of the reasons why I called it a a blank slate was because Hurricane Katrina and subsequent hurricanes kind of cleaned out all of the old, unresilient infrastructure. So there's opportunity here in my mind for the state to do some really radical redevelopment because you don't now have to go in and clean out this Old infrastructure, it's been washed away, right?
0: Right, but doesn't decimated infrastructure count as a setback? I mean, how can all this storm damage position Mississippi to spring forward economically?
2: So, before I came to Mississippi, I lived in South Africa for two years and I was doing a lot of research around economic development. And one of the things that I noticed was Africa never really built landline telecommunications, so, wireless communication just took off because they weren't encumbered with the old infrastructure. And so I use that as an analogy because the blank slate that existed created a huge opportunity for some really innovative things.
0: So instead of continuing to dwell on how Mississippi is lagging behind, we're gonna pivot and look how it may be poised to spring ahead. After the break, we'll take a look at some of the most resourceful and ambitious industries attempting to establish roots in Mississippi, industries that, if successful, could lead not only to higher-paying jobs, but also a greener planet. Don't go away.
3: The way we work and the skills we need to do our jobs are changing fast. What do you need to know to keep up? And how do we as a society ensure everyone has an equal opportunity to succeed in today's workforce? I'm Ramona Schindelheim, Editor-in-Chief of Working Nation. Join me each week on the Work in Progress podcast as I go one-on-one with the innovators and decision makers who are helping us navigate our way through these challenges.
0: Welcome back. Before the break, we heard from reporters and environmental justice advocates about how Mississippians are less concerned with working green and much more concerned about earning enough green just to make ends meet. And given the state's propensity for paying the bare minimum, residents are desperate for jobs that pay a more livable wage. Well, for all you Magnolia moneymakers out there, feast your ears on this. So
4: for our wages that we're paying in Mississippi, we're about 40% higher across the board for the county. And with the new facility than bond, we're looking at about 70% higher for all positions, not just for our skill trade or our entry level, but also on our management side as well.
0: That was Kim Lloyd, the Human Resource Director at Enviva Biomass, the world's largest producer of wood pellets. And just to hammer home something Kim said, and Viva is offering a much better income to the local workforce. The company currently owns two plants and one port in Mississippi, with a new facility set to break ground in the city of Bond next year. But what exactly are wood pellets? Wood pellets are a low-cost renewable biofuel made from compressed wood fiber. Biofuels like wood pellets can be burned as an energy source in place of coal. Manufacturers like Enviva are hoping that wood pellets can help decarbonize some of the heaviest greenhouse gas-emitting sectors, like cement production, steel production, and aviation fuels.
4: We are here to displace coal, grow more trees, and obviously to fight climate change.
0: Now everyone grab a seat and really pay attention because I'm about to drop some science on you all. For industries that rely on coal-burning furnaces to generate energy, wood pellets are made to match the same dimensions and burn at the same intensity as coal. This allows pellets to be mixed in with coal to generate the same amount of power. So for facilities that can't make an overnight switch to renewable energy, the idea is that burning wood pellets enables them to immediately reduce up to 15% of their carbon emissions by burning 20% less coal. And as we've learned from other states, Constructing new, renewable facilities can take years to complete. So technically, wood pellets offer an immediate solution to reduce coal consumption. But as Sarah mentioned, wood pellets are more commonly used in Europe and Asia, which begs the question, why then would Enviva choose Mississippi as a location to get the business rolling?
4: So one of the reasons that we looked at the Mississippi area is obviously for its rich fiber basket, but secondly... We go where the workforce is and that we know that we can find the best people to staff and direct and indirect jobs. And then also logistics from a standpoint of where could we put manufacturing facilities that we could easily get into our ports and ship out.
0: So Mississippi's natural resources, which includes vast amounts of timber and access to waterways, made it prime real estate for Enviva to set up shop, or in their case, several shops. But in a state where leadership isn't quite as forward thinking as one would hope, I wondered if elected officials were welcoming of an environmentally conscious company that sends most of its product abroad.
4: The state is supportive of companies like ours. we assist with bringing jobs to the area. We want to find as many direct local individuals to hire, and that can come from anyone that's working in the sites. We're projecting, just for Bond, about 250 indirect jobs within the region. That includes construction that includes logging and trucking. So we're looking to support around 350 and we want them to feel like they have a career path here and that we're here for a long period of time.
0: So it all comes back to higher paying jobs. Whether clean or dirty, residents and leaders have the same goal in mind, earnings potential. And fortunately for all of us and the planet, green jobs are increasingly able to meet and exceed that potential. So I had to ask, What kind of career opportunities are available at a biomass production company like Enviva?
4: And that ranges anywhere from control room operators, shift supervisors, mobile equipment operators. We also have our skilled trades as well. And then our maintenance department, our Pascagoula port actually houses about 25 people. And that's anywhere from vessel loaders, also operators. We also have skilled trades there as well.
0: As we heard earlier, only about one-fifth of Mississippians have a bachelor's degree. And if that's the case, I wanted to find out what kind of educational background would be needed to qualify for these higher paying positions.
4: At the entry level, some of our control room operators, mobile equipment operators, we will bring in on house. And so that's a high school diploma. And then we actually train there at the facility. Some of our other roles, If they're electrical or mechanical or multi-craft, we would be looking for someone that has that skill set or that degree. could be a two-year degree from a local community college. We're also looking at how we could provide that. So if someone comes to us and says, I really am interested in a skilled trade, then how can we take that person and help them get that education that we need as well?
0: And for the jobs that you might help the interested candidates trying to get some training, do you have any specific partnerships with local community colleges or training programs that you can put these interested individuals into?
4: We're actually working right now with Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. They offer just a plethora of different adult education classes, certain specific classes that we work with. Obviously, if we have someone that comes to us and says, hey, I didn't finish high school. I would love to go back for our GED. We would help them through those two community colleges to continue and get their GED. And then obviously Mississippi Gulf Coast community, we're going to be partnering with them and looking for them to help us with some of our skilled trades as well.
0: So you've got a future program kind of in plans with one of the colleges as you expand.
4: That is correct. We do. Yes.
0: Okay. And while we're on the subject of getting schooled, I could actually use a little education myself. How exactly are wood pellets made?
4: So the way we produce our wood pellets is we start out first with the forest. The source wood is a low-value wood, which we buy from the forest owners who manage their land in a manner that adheres to our very strict sustainability standards. It goes into the receiving at our sites. Once it's there, we take it over to sizing and we break it down into usable, uniform size chips. We take it through a drying process. Then the material is compressed and it naturally bonds to an energy dense pellet, which is very safe. That goes from our manufacturing facilities to our port facilities where we ship it out.
0: Now I want to make a clear point. Wood pellets are not without controversy. In fact, other pellet manufacturers have come under fire and received some really hefty fines for leaking pollutants into air and water. And because I've always got my environmentalist cap on, I needed to know just how green are in Viva's production processes.
4: We do not use any type of chemicals. It's all natural resources. And we only source wood from our tracks and they'll be replanted and they will be regenerated and will not contribute to any type of land use change. We also have a track and trace program in place so that we can actually track where we take these from and then how they're replaced within that as well.
0: All right, listeners, at this point, I have a pretty good idea what you might be thinking. For those of you that have been tuning in since our first episode about Pennsylvania, you may recall that coal and oil became a leading energy source in the U.S. by displacing the burning of firewood, which at the time was considered a greener solution because it saved our forests. And now here we are, centuries later, cutting down trees to displace fossil fuels. Something seems a little off here. So to get a sense of how the growth of a biofuel company may be impacting the local community, I phoned Ken Flanagan, the Community Development and Communications Director for George County, Mississippi.
5: George County and our surrounding areas, we supported three paper mills and two sawmills all the way through the 90s. And when they went down, it was a big shock. And for the last 20 years, all of this pond has been growing. Timber prices in this area were at record lows. Folks were really having to make the decision, do I let this timber stand? Is it worth cutting? Uh, There is a point where you need to figure out what you're going to do with your harvest. And there was so much supply that sawmills were literally turning down major suppliers and people were having to hold on to everything. And that timber went away and it's never coming back. But most of the folks in this area held on, hoping for a brighter day. And that's what Enviva is providing them. It's another brand new market for timber prices.
0: Okay, so economically that makes sense. It's reviving a dying timber industry, but environmentally, how can cutting down trees be considered a sustainable practice?
5: This is one area that our local forestry association, and our local loggers have really synced up with Invivo on. It's the replanting process. As soon as you cut and you harvest that pond, you go back through and you replant immediately and you replant literally right next to
0: the tree that was there. So while chopping down trees doesn't sound like the greenest solution, it is providing better job opportunities to local and impoverished communities. And if Mississippi has the potential to become a pellet powerhouse that can reduce global emissions, maybe the pros outweigh the cons. But I gotta be honest, gang, this one has got me stumped. So it's time for me to do what I do best, put on the old thinking cap and call Paula. So Paula, what do you think about using wood fiber to replace coal?
3: I mean, the complexities are everywhere all the time. So you have a situation where the paper industry is collapsed. You have trees that are standing. Many people would say they should just be left alone to stand. Other people would come in and say, you have to keep a forest healthy. You do have to clear it some of these smaller trees are not going to sequester a lot of carbon. Maybe their vocation is to be cut and used for something else, in this case, wood pellets. And it's true that the burning of wood pellets is by far more environmentally beneficial relative to climate change and greenhouse gas emissions than, say, burning coal. So if wood pellets are going to displace coal burning, that would be a net
0: benefit. But what about local forests? I mean, How can a tree lover like myself see burning wood as a benefit to the environment?
3: Not to complicate it, but I just don't think that we should try to make a decision about it. That benefit may show up in Poland or in Ghana or someplace where the trees did not exist. If you live in Mississippi, that may not seem like a plus for you. However, if you're working in the wood pellet industry and your job is tied to cutting those trees you may see it as a necessary. So it's very difficult to sort out all these things at a certain point because anything to do with climate change really ends up in the same place. The atmosphere. I mean, the atmosphere couldn't care less how we reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The essential thing is that we not only have to stop emitting at the rate that we're emitting, we also have to remove it from the atmosphere and figure out some way to delink economic growth from emissions growth. And I am convinced that linkage really lies in employing people and keeping people involved in the greater project of reducing emissions. Sometimes down here on earth, we spend a lot of time debating the methods to get to that end result. Some of those debates are quite noisy and are highly localized. And it's just really important to keep our eye on the prize. And the prize is overall major reductions in emissions At the same time, as you see, major increases in employment.
0: Right. So I guess another way of looking at it is leaning into the earn green side of the equation, which is that these biofuel companies are creating good paying jobs for the local economy.
3: If jobs creation is your goal, what can you do to make up for the loss of a big industry that people have depended on? So a state like Mississippi is in the position of trying to reap the benefit of experience and land uh, structure and workforce skills. So going after another way of using trees in Mississippi makes a certain amount of sense if you are really trying to use your workforce, keep them employed, create jobs, and enter this environmental dynamic, which is ongoing.
0: That's a great point. We can't lose sight of the fact that green jobs aren't always black and white. So while biofuels like wood pellets may not be conserving natural resources, they are in some way providing a benefit to the environment by reducing coal consumption, even if it's in a faraway country where trees aren't as readily available, like Poland or Ghana. But hey, I'm literally in Poland right now trying to make a difference in Mississippi, so I guess it can work both ways. And on that note, we are gonna make like a tree branch at a biofuel company and break. But when we come back, we're gonna look at one of the most promising alternative fuel sources that has gotten a whole lot of hype, hydrogen. Don't go away.
1: If you're curious about green jobs, good news. Working Nation has even more content for you to dive into. Alicia Clark here, producer of Work Green, Earn Green. And I'm excited to share that a new edition of our video series, I Want That Job, is available now. Each episode features careers that are in high demand and help save the environment like construction managers, geologists, and some others that may surprise you. So be sure to check them out. Subscribe now to the Working Nation YouTube channel and follow the hashtag greenjobsnow.
0: And we're back. Before the break, I gave myself a splitting headache trying to figure out whether chopping down trees could be considered green if it meant less reliance on coal. But fret not, fellow tree lovers, because just around the Mississippi River Bend lies the potential for what many have dubbed the silver bullet for climate change, green hydrogen. Big emphasis, though, on the word potential. Hydrogen fuels have been part of the green conversation for decades, but it is yet to take off for a variety of reasons. The first reason is cost. The components needed to make a hydrogen fuel have been prohibitively expensive. But just last month, a breakthrough in the U.K. has shown that catalyst converters can function with cheaper materials, making the green tech more affordable. Promising? Yes. But now comes the issue of capacity. The wind and sun are readily available. But how do we go about producing and storing enough hydrogen fuel to get this industry to scale? Well, one company believes Mississippi may hold the key.
6: We believe Mississippi is uniquely positioned geographically and geologically to really lead on a global scale in the hydrogen economy.
0: That was Claire Behar, the Chief Commercial Officer at High Store Energy. High Store Energy is a company pioneering green hydrogen production, storage, and delivery at scale. And they have chosen Mississippi as the location for their first major project which once completed would be one of the world's largest green hydrogen hubs coming in at roughly 10 times the size of any other project of its kind. Ambitious? You got that right. The project is still under development with plans to begin construction at the end of the year and hopes of being in service by 2025. But what exactly is green hydrogen?
6: Green hydrogen, or as we call it at high store, renewable hydrogen, is produced by splitting water into two parts, hydrogen and oxygen, via a process called electrolysis, which uses renewable electricity such as wind or the sun. The process creates zero carbon, zero methane emissions, and renewable hydrogen can be produced, stored, transported, and used as an energy source, all in an entirely decarbonized fashion.
0: Sun, wind, water, and no emissions? That sounds pretty gosh darn green to me. But with solar and wind farms going up, what is the need for hydrogen?
6: Renewable hydrogen bridges the gap of intermittent renewables, providing resilient, reliable, clean power for when the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine.
0: Ah, yes. The unpredictability of weather is the classic argument against renewables but that energy can be saved up for a rainy day, right? Renewables and batteries can only get us so far, and we
6: really need a solution for seasonal energy storage. Hydrogen can be stored for weeks, months, seasons, and really seasonal energy storage is
0: critical to achieve 100% renewable energy. All right, I can see how utility providers may need stored energy to stabilize a grid, but what other industries would need a supply of energy that could be stored long-term? As we transition off of
6: fossil fuels, renewable hydrogen has the power to decarbonize the world's highest emitting industries, such as steel, fertilizer production, and heavy transport. And these industries collectively represent 30% of total global CO2 emissions. And the fact that hydrogen can decarbonize these, that really is powerful.
0: A third of global CO2 emissions? Powerful may just be an understatement. But to effectively reach our carbon-free goals, we are going to need massive amounts of fuel. And High Store is up to the challenge. They anticipate that their first phase will produce over 300 tons of green hydrogen a day. So just where exactly is all this hydrogen going to be stored? Well, the answer lies in the 50,000 acres of underground salt caverns along Mississippi's Gulf Coast. Salt caverns turn out to be one of the lowest-cost solutions for storing hydrogen at scale, and Mississippi is one of the few locations in the entire world where they naturally occur. Talk about location, location, location. And these caverns can be roughly the same size of the Empire State Building, allowing for magnitudes more storage than can be achieved above ground. But first, they have to be created. And that operation sounds like it might call for jobs, jobs, green jobs.
6: In the development and the commercialization phases, we are expecting to create hundreds of new careers. Our project has lifespans
0: of 40 plus years. So these are really long-term careers. That sounds great in theory, but how much retraining will that workforce need to take advantage of the opportunities provided by this new technology? We really see the hydrogen
6: economy as an opportunity to build upon these existing skill sets of those workers from the fossil fuel industry. And we are working with our partners at both the Center for Hydrogen Safety and the University of Southern Mississippi on some training programs and certification classes, as well as curriculums within the universities for students to go into hydrogen.
0: And high stores partners at the University of Southern Mississippi are also hopeful for a hydrogen fueled future. The dream
7: would be to decarbonize shipping, right? I mean, we've seen that in various places. Ferries are now running on hydrogen. But if you could somehow get it into the larger shipping containers or vehicles all over the world, that would make a significant impact. And so what we're talking about here is the potential for a safe, endless, zero carbon supply for these optionally crewed vessels.
0: That was Jason McKenna. Director of Research, Development, Testing, Evaluation, and Training at the Roger F. Wicker Center for Ocean Enterprise at the University of Southern Mississippi. Boy, that was a mouthful. But just like we saw with Illinois' goal of getting 1 million electric vehicles on the road, the hope of converting maritime operations to hydrogen fuels are also going to require an entire infrastructure to get the product to market. Fortunately, the solution for both industries is one and the same, more jobs. I think you're going to need
7: more, obviously, engineers and scientists to scale up. So the transition to hydrogen energy, it offers a top opportunity for new careers, some of which don't yet exist in in any curriculum. So this is why we've partnered with HighStore to create kind of a certification for green hydrogen jobs. There's going to be a lot of specifics to understanding the particular requirements for designing and maintaining pipelines of hydrogen, and some of that expertise could exist but not at scale.
0: Now, if you're thinking green hydrogen sounds like it's too good to be true, you are not alone. The technology has been described by critics as a total pipe dream because they've seen it fall short time and time again. So why should locals have reason to believe that Mississippi may be the state to finally crack this nut? What store is really doing is taking advantage of the geology. And then moving hydrogen across pipelines,
7: it's a challenge, but it's not a moonshot in terms of the technology. We deal with pipelines all the time. Hydrogen is pipelined from site to site. But my understanding is the infrastructure will have to be built. I think their network, something like 200 miles of pipeline to cover the entire state. So it's not a significant undertaking, but it is a significant amount of job creation, absolutely, which is very important in the state.
0: All right, Paula. So what do you think? Is green hydrogen a Mississippi moonshot? Or is there an opportunity here that students and the local workforce should consider being a part of?
3: The thing about green hydrogen is that it's like a dream in a way. It's like fusion. And it's exciting to think that we could run the economy on something that was essentially benign. And employing people in this new technology, people who used to work in oil and gas, It's great to think of them being able to either just transition over to green hydrogen or to pick up a certification and get an extra skill and get a premium on their salary. But the complexity of getting there is daunting in a way because we're far from there. And there has been conversation about hydrogen for decades. And it's always fallen short. And I guess the answer is we need really great people involved in this. It's just a question of looking and saying, wow, I'm a pipe fitter. I wonder if I could be fitting pipes on a, a green hydrogen installation, or I'm a software engineer. Maybe I should be using my software, Big Data Head, to figure out X or Y. And I think that people are ahead of the problem. That's what we're trying to say, is that green jobs are here now. They're right around you. You may be
0: in one and not even know it. Beautifully put, Paula. Well, I, for one, hope companies like Inviva and Highstore are able to leverage Mississippi's geological and geographic assets and turn this blank slate into a leading green state. And maybe, just maybe, we won't end up like old boy Robert Johnson, singing the blues about the wouldas, shouldas, and couldas of green jobs in Mississippi. But hey, as the saying goes, when you're at the bottom, there's nowhere to go but up. Good luck, Mississippi. Thanks for listening to another episode of Work Green, Earn Green, and for helping me unmuddy the waters of Mississippi. Tune in next time as we take a bird's eye view at green jobs within the Hawkeye State, Iowa. Also, do your boy a favor and make sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and share, share, share. Finally, don't forget to visit WorkingNation.com to find additional content on green jobs. Later days. This podcast is produced by Alicia Clark and Mike Zunick. It's executive produced by Melissa Panzer, Joan Lynch, and Art Bilger. It's written by Jay Tipton and Mike Zunick. Edited and sound mixed by Lins Florin. The assistant editor is Meng Feng Yang. Talent producer is Emily LaLuce. Music is by Avocado Junkie. And this podcast is made possible by the Walton Family Foundation.